I'm Pastor Nathan from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. And this episode, I want to dig deeper into the idea of the three layers of meaning that we find in Scripture, using Genesis chapter 22 as a good example. When I talk about three layers being found in Scripture, what I'm referring to is that when we look through the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, there's often three primary meanings, primary things that God is communicating. First, he's communica- communicating something specifically to the people who are involved in the account. So when you see Adam or Noah or David or Abraham in the Old Testament, God is communicating something in them through the events that are, that are described. Second is the primary meaning that God is communicating to the original readers. When the Bible was written down and it was given to the people of God, God gave it at that time to communicate something specifically to those people. Also, we have a third layer of meaning, the gospel significance, or the primary meaning in light of the gospel. Now, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22, because at the church, we've just concluded a series on the life of Abraham ending in Genesis chapter 22. And also, we see this as a great example of these three layers. If you're not familiar with Genesis chapter 22, it's the account of of the binding of Isaac, when God commands Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering. Now, before that offering actually takes place, before the sacrifice takes place, God stops him and instead gives him a ram caught in a thicket. So I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with that account, to go back to Genesis chapter 2 and read it over uh, because it will help you better understand what we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of this episode. Now, one of the main, the main character in this account is Abraham. And throughout Genesis 12 to 22, God has made promises and covenants with Abraham. And one of the means by which God brought to fulfillment his promises was through the transformation of Abraham, through God working in Abraham's life and transforming him into the person that God wanted him to be. And Genesis 22 is kind of the final step in Abraham's transformation as part of God fulfilling his covenant promises. It says in the beginning of Genesis 22 that God came and tested Abraham, that he gave him this command to offer up Isaac as a a burnt offering. Now in the past, when God had given Abraham promises or commands, frequently we see him have a lack of faith, right? He either reinterprets the promises of God to make it more feasible or he questions it or he disobeys or he uses his cleverness and deceit in order to kind of work around the promises of God. But in Genesis 22, we see something totally different. We see the depth to which God has transformed him because he obediently follows through with what God has commanded him to do. And also when we look at Hebrews 11, 11 verse 19, we see that even though he went forward with this command to offer Isaac as a burnt offering, he also believed that God would be faithful to his previous promises, that through Isaac, the promise of nations and the promise of descendants would be fulfilled, that Isaac was this promised child through whom the promise would continue. And so we just see the way that God is communicating to Abraham the depth of that transformation um, in Genesis chapter 22. Now, we can also look at the second layer of meaning. What's the primary thing that God is communicating to the original readers? 
So when the Bible was given, it was given at a specific time in a specific place to communicate something specifically to those people. Now it has meaning outside of that as we're looking at today, but there is a reason that it was given then. And so one of the main things that this communicates is that it's a clear teaching that child sacrifice is abhorrent to God, that it accomplishes nothing, that it does not please God, that in fact he hates child sacrifice. All throughout the Old Testament, you see over and over again child sacrifice be forbidden. Now, in our modern context, it may be difficult to understand why repeated rebukes of child sacrifice is necessary. But in this time and in this place, child sacrifice was a common thing. Different religions would practice it sporadically. In some religions, it was a primary part of their worship to God. The idea that a deity would demand a child sacrifice would not be unheard of. In fact, it would almost be expected in many cases that such a valuable sacrifice as a child would reap a valuable reward. Now, despite the repeated rebukes of child sacrifice that we see in the Old Testament, the Israelites and the people of God were continually drawn back into this pagan practice. Now, we're not given all the reasons or the explanations or the things leading up to this practice being revived among the people of God. But one of the ways that this could have happened, and I think one of the ways that it most likely happened, is that somebody rose up as a leader and said, you know what, we know that God at one point forbade child sacrifice, but things have changed. We're under a new ruler, or this new pagan God has come in, or we're facing outside pressures, and so now, even though it's forbidden before, God now demands it. But when Genesis chapter 2 offers us is the only clear example of when when God commanded child sacrifice, because he does command Abraham to offer up Isaac as a burnt offering. But then what does God do? He intervenes himself to stop the sacrifice from happening. So the one time that God commanded child sacrifice, he stopped it. And this this should be a teaching, an eternal teaching that says, you know what, if somebody comes forward, whether it was in Israel or today, and says, you know what, now God commands child sacrifice, you're like, well, we don't know what God has said to you. But what we do know is that he said this to Abraham and he himself stopped it. Right, And then God offers as a substitute for Isaac a ram that's caught in a thicket, which shows us that, there's, that God would prefer the sacrifice of a ram over the sacrifice of Isaac. And Isaac is precious. right? He's precious to his parents. He's valuable to his parents. But in the Bible and the work of God, Isaac is precious. Why? Because he's the promised child. He was promised to his parents for years and years. God fulfilled that promise. And it was told that through Isaac, that promise would continue. This covenant promise would pass through him. And so if the sacrifice of Isaac, such a precious, miraculous child, was easily substituted by the sacrifice of a ram, this teaches us that no human sacrifice can achieve anything. God has commanded the sacrifice of rams and animals in the Old Testament, yet he continually forbids the sacrifice of children. And this leads into the third layer of meaning, which is the, the gospel significance. One of the reasons that we can believe in this third layer, that everything in the Old Testament and the Bible points to Christ, is because Jesus himself says it. After his resurrection, he spoke to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, he says, and it says that he went from the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus taught that all the scriptures pointed to him, and Genesis 22 does that clearly. 
God stopped the sacrifice of Isaac because even though he was precious and valuable, his sacrifice would do nothing. And all of humanity is in the situation where our sin and the sins of every person merit death. That the wages of sin is death. That as, as we continue sinning, it racks up a debt, and that debt is death. But as we see from Genesis chapter 22, the sacrifice of a human is not sufficient to pay that debt. In fact, in order for there to be any sufficient sacrifice, you would need two things. One, you would need someone who themselves owed no debt, right? That any sacrifice that they made would be for others and not for themselves. And two, you would need someone who is much more valuable than even Isaac, the child of promise. And we're left thinking, well, who could fit that criteria? How could anyone ever be found to pay the debt and forever offer freedom, forgiveness, and new life to all of humanity, past, present, and future? When you look at that criteria and you think about who would be worthy, it's outrageous. Who could ever, how could that ever happen? Who could ever accomplish that? In fact, God himself would have to come down and, like Isaac, willingly lay himself on the altar. But unlike Isaac, be worthy and be slaughtered. And that's exactly what God did in Jesus Christ. God told Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when God talks about this specific offspring, he's not talking about Isaac, but he's talking about Jesus, who being truly God and truly man, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered and he died in our place. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of all glory and honor and power, and yet he died for us, paying the ultimate price that is completely sufficient to pay the debt of sinful humanity. I think John Chrysostom, who wrote around 400 AD, said this better than I ever could. Now, as we read this, what he's going to be talking about is how Genesis 22 points to Christ. He's talking about this third layer of meaning. In it also, he'll talk about the rational lamb when he says that he's referring to Christ. He writes, All this, however, happened as a type of the cross. Hence Christ too said to the Jews, Your father Abraham rejoiced in anticipation of seeing my day. He saw it and was delighted. But how did he see it? If he lived so long before, he saw it in type and in shadow. Just as in our text, the sheep was offered in place of Isaac, so here the rational lamb was offered for the world. You see, it was necessary that the truth be sketched out ahead of time in shadow. Notice, I ask you, dearly beloved, how everything was prefigured in shadow. An only begotten son in that case, an only begotten son in this case, in the case of Christ. Dearly loved in that case, dearly loved in this. This is my beloved son, scripture says, in fact, in whom I have found satisfaction. The former was offered as a burnt offering by his father, and the latter his father surrendered. Paul too shouts aloud in the words, He who in fact did not spare his own son, but handed him over for the sake of us all. How will he not also grant us every gift along with him? Up to this point, there is shadow. But now that Christ has come, the truth of things is shown to be more excellent. This rational lamb, you see, was offered for the whole world. He purified the whole world. He freed human beings from error and led them forward to the truth. He made earth into heaven, not by altering the nature of the elements, but by transferring life in heaven to human beings on earth. Through him, all worship of demons is made pointless. Through him, people no longer worship stone and wood, nor do those endowed with reason bend the knee to material things. Instead, all error has been abolished, and the light of truth has shone brightly on the world. Do you see the superiority of truth? Do you see what shadow is on the one hand, the truth on the other? 
And so as we look through Genesis chapter 22, and as we read through the rest of the Bible, we can recognize these three layers of meaning, what it means to the people involved in the event described, the primary meaning to the original readers, and also what it means in light of the gospel. I hope going through this and talking about this has helped you better understand Genesis chapter 22 in the context of the whole Bible and the rest of the Bible as you read through it. I pray that in all things God's name would be glorified and his will would be done.